What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Paul Chatham. He is a longtime friend of mine. We've we've shown our work together on numerous occasions. He joined me via Skype from his studio in Visalia, California. Um, we talked about the new Ustream, Facebook debates, Los Angeles, hobbyists, prop making, set design, kinetic energy, working class, ostrich bites, skin cancer, color blindness, hobos, Woody Guthrie process, and our better halves. Um, this was the second time I tried doing the live Ustream show to go along with the podcast. The first one was with Henry Gunderson, which is up on the Ustream. If, uh, if you just go to my Facebook or go to MikeMaxwellArt.com, click on the blog and you can get links over there. Um, I've decided to start doing live video feeds for these things, and I just set up the new Ustream so that I could show Paul's uh, webcam as well, but unfortunately I had some issues and the sound didn't work right. Something about it not recognizing my mic, I think. Um, I'm going to figure it out so it'll be set up for the next time. Like I said before, go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the blog. You can find all of Paul's links and every other guest that's been on the show. You can also donate to the podcast if you are so inclined to do so. There's a link to PayPal where you can make a donation via PayPal. Um, and I'll be setting up a new Live Free raffle sometime here in the future. Um, I'm basically swamped crazy with getting prepared for my solo show, which I thought was only a week away from the day of this recording, but is two weeks away. I had sort of took a week away from myself. So I have an extra week of work, which is nice, but um, hopefully everyone in San Diego will come out for the show. It's May 20th at the Subtext Gallery in Little Italy, which uh, if you've been to the San Diego airport before, you, you actually the, the flight path is directly over the roof of Subtext. Like every 15 minutes, a humongous plane flies about 15 feet from your head. It's crazy. Um, so... I think that's all the stuff to get out there. The Ustream will be net better next time, I promise. Um, it'd be funny to try to listen to this podcast and loop it up with the video, although I know that it won't work properly because the timing is going to be off. But you could try to go have some fun with it and get weird if you feel like it. Um, I have been, uh, I guess, probably kind of stressed out leading up to my show, and I think some of those... Uh, stresses have sort of manifested themselves in arguing on the internet for some reason. Um, Paul and I talk about that here uh, in the interview, but um, I figured it, it like the last few weeks I've been awfully confrontational and I think oh, overtly too judgmental. So from now on, I'm, I'm going to stop engaging the internet with, uh, with my abuse. Um, I have this tendency to try to correct everything is that, that I see as wrong instead of just letting it be. Um, and it's something I've done my entire life. If I, if I see some sort of what I perceive as an injustice or something, I, I say so and I stand up for people and I, and not only that, like I, I try to change people's minds about what, what is real and what isn't real and sort of figure out where people are coming from. Um, but all that has manifested itself into some weird, like, internet argument debate stress that is is just, it makes me feel like I'm stupid for even engaging. So, from now on, because every time, you know, every time I, I see some post or hear a news story or some type of comment, I'll just let out a barrage of heat, you know? Like, I, I won't think about it for a while, I'll just explode on it, and it... it it never works out well. So the goal now is whenever I feel that urge to explode on people, what I'm going to do instead is just hide them from my Facebook or block them from my Twitter or whatever needs to be done to where I don't even see that stuff anymore so that it doesn't even become an issue. Um, because it's totally not worth having any sort of frustrations over a debate on the internet. Even though the issues that I've been talking about are serious, like, the way our military handles uh, capital punishment and and racism in in America today. So there there are issues that I find important, but 
the internet is just not the <clears throat> excuse me not the the proper venue to uh to have such a discussion i guess maybe i could do skype calls and have uh podcasts based on on those ideas that way people can hear a real voice and hear what uh sincerity sounds like so now that i got that all out of the way ladies and gentlemen without further ado mr paul chatham all right here we go i'm gonna give paul a chat paul a chat give paul chatham a call we are about to chat let's see what happens uh also i'm trying some new stuff out so if there's some hiccups or some weird shit going on um bear with me i'm uh, i'm trying a new ustream program out so here we go what's up buddy hey what's going on man can you hear me all right yeah i hear you good um just click your uh camera button up in the okay. top corner there's a little icon i hope mine turns on i see you but you just see a spinning thing huh I do, yeah, I see just like a silhouette. God, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I have my Ustream plan. Here, let me see if I can fix this problem. Let's okay. try this. It's still not going to show me. What a fucker. Let me see. I'm going to try to do something really quick. See, I just have to turn. Actually, if I turn my Ustream camera off, then that doesn't work. I need to turn this camera off so people could see me switching back and forth from the cameras okay um well do you think you we could just do this like a phone call and i'll just you don't have to see my ugly mug anyway <laughs> yeah i'm okay with that all right cool and sometimes there's a little bit of a lag with skype sometimes okay so it's just gonna keep spinning isn't that that's a bummer all right let me give this one more try here yeah, I'm not exactly sure what to do to get my screen on there, but that's all right. Well, let's give it a go. All right. Well, hey, thanks for doing the show, my friend. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's good to hear your voice. It's been yeah, a while. long time no see in here. It's uh, it's been a minute. Yeah, definitely. So we've both been busy people, so it's uh, you know, which is a good thing. Yeah, no doubt. And I ain't gonna lie to you, Paul Chatham. It's hot out today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little warm up here, too. I'm sure you got a little more heat down there. Usually we're in the oasis down here, you know what I mean? But yeah. uh, when I record, I have to close everything up because I, I live on a busy street, so you can hear all the cars drive by. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, our house is uh, right next to the freeway, so we got we got a good amount of traffic noise ourselves. Good. So we're I'm, I'm suffering so that the listeners can can enjoy themselves. You gotta do it for the people, man. I know. I uh, I'm in slightly a slightly shitty mood a little bit. I've been arguing about Osama bin Laden all morning. And yeah, I kind of yeah, I saw some of your uh, some of your posts there on the Facebook, and uh, I I'm trying to ignore the whole thing. <laughs> I would I would really like to too. I just I let my opinions out, and then it's open for critique. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's hard to uh, it's hard to uh, be opinionated and not. Uh, not be knocked down because of your opinions, you know? Yeah. I really wanted to stay out of it, but unfortunately I don't know how to do that quite yet. Yeah, it's not it's not in your nature. <laughs> um so we met we met maybe five or six years ago in San Francisco. Um Yeah. I think it was like two thousand six, I think. Did uh did you grow up in the in the California on the West Coasts? Yeah, I grew up uh, just outside of uh, Los Angeles in the foothills in a town called La Crescenta. And you just recently got out of L.A., huh? Yeah, I had to escape from L.A. It was getting a little too hectic. What uh, what prompted that? Uh, it was mostly I'd been working in the, the movie business to, to try to make ends meet down there. And it just, uh, I didn't like the type of people that I was associating with uh, in that business. And it, it didn't, I was working like 16 hour days making other people's dreams come true, you know, and it was, wasn't leaving me a lot of time to, to do my own thing. So I had to escape. Yeah. Did you come from like a creative background? Did you, did your family have a lot of support towards creative things? 
obviously you're you're a painter and maker of of many different things uh yeah my parents uh weren't very uh that creative but uh there's other people in my family that do creative things uh my grandparents were hobbyists my my grandfather made like wooden duck models and my uh grandmother did some like uh watercolor paintings and stuff like that and then uh, my dad's best friend uh, was a painter named Chuck Wellborn, who was uh, pretty well known in the 70s. I got to see his stuff growing up. And then my neighbor is, uh, is a wood, was a wood sculptor when I was growing up. His name was Ken Goldman. He's, he does like figurative wood sculptures. So I had creative people around me. And then all my friends growing up drew, and uh, they were all better than I was. I was just playing catch up all the time. And it was so it was. It was a creative environment, definitely, and my, my parents were uh, supportive of uh, my goals to do that. So from a young age, it was something that you were you were pretty interested in pursuing longer than just like while you were in school or whatever? Uh, yeah, yeah, when I was really young, I was like, uh, I thought I'd go into the sciences and then maybe do, you know, go go through... I was really into uh, reptiles. I thought I was going to be a herpetologist like when I was a kid, but uh, math was never my thing. So then I thought, oh, maybe I'll do uh, scientific drawings for for journals and stuff like that. But uh, but after I hit puberty, math and science didn't really seem that important. So <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? <laughs> yeah. um, when did you start? You're you're a musician as well. It's funny that you said you're about your grandparents being a hobbyist, like. The more I talk to creative types, the more mm -hmm. I find people really are just kind of hobbyists. Like, they don't just like to do one thing. There's all sorts of different little knickknacks and hobbies and, and outlets that certain types of people gravitate towards to sort yeah. of alleviate and, and bide their time. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of people, you know, it, I think hobbies are good, you know, and, and some people uh, just, uh, it becomes more important to them than... Uh, than their other life and it becomes their profession so and I think that's what happened with me is like I had my my foot in a lot of different pursuits when I was younger and then um you know uh, ink drawing and painting uh, just took over the rest of the the stuff and then um a lot of my friends are musicians and uh, you know that 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 kind of became a hobby or an outlet for me rather than um the painting and stuff became uh, more professional. Yeah, the um, you had mentioned doing the work that you were doing while you were in LA, um, mm -hmm. doing set design and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Was was that stuff sort of a catalyst for the newer works that you're making now? Uh yeah, it definitely was. Like, uh, well, the, the newer works kind of were inspired by like uh my interest in uh, antique toys and how they work, especially like mechanical toys. And then uh, once I started doing like the set building and the especially prop making where I needed to make stuff that moved like pocket doors or like, uh, you know, just like different props for movies and stuff like that, I started learning how to uh, how mechanics worked and stuff. And that uh, just inspired me to uh, to incorporate that into the painting. And is that where you picked up your the sort of craftsmanship that it takes to to be able to even construct some of those things? Uh yeah, definitely. Because yeah, there'd be days like where I'd spend sixteen hours a day just cutting wood and putting wood together, and you you gotta learn quick or you get fired, you know. So it's so my craftsmanship definitely uh, came from from the, the the long hours on those jobs. What uh what were some of the things that that you weren't so interested in if you don't mind talking about it as far as those jobs went yeah it was mostly just uh i mean i'm i'm not that social person and that those jobs are very team oriented you know you have to you have to you have to work with several different types of people to to get a project together and um i'm the I, i'm kind of a solo kind of guy and i like to work on my own and it's uh I don't know. I, I don't like to knock heads with people and be confrontational. So it's like uh, be, being at home by myself, you know, gets me away from all that. You're kind of a lone wolf? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's it just uh, seems easier for me to, to try to figure stuff out myself than to ask other people's opinions about what they want, you know. Yeah. 
and I think a lot of people miss out, like people who aren't in these creative fields. And I'm sure people find ways, but there's mm -hmm. there's moments in time when you're by yourself that you're able to think on a sort of different mindset, sort of a different plane, like a different level. Yeah. And yeah, and then definitely, it's like you know, if you're trying to please yourself rather than trying to please someone else, you're going to come up with a lot of different ideas. And a lot of newer ideas because you're not looking for someone else's approval. You know, it's all it's all coming from within. You know. Right. So when did you decide to start doing painting and drawing as a profession? Like, do when do you remember your first art show? Uh, my first art show was uh, well, outside of school. I, w I went to art school, so that you know, I had shows in art school. But um, like after I got out of art school. I moved to Hollywood with my brother, and I, I showed at a, a couple different coffee shops in town. And then I then I got started getting into the group shows like at La Luz de Jesus in like 1999. But like my first solo show was at like a little coffee shop in town. Did you did you see something in that first show that you you didn't uh, that you didn't know existed? You know, sometimes I know I, the first show that I ever did. It was sort of a wake-up call, like I sort of just accidentally fell into it, just mm -hmm. based on the group of people that I was hanging out with, and then realized that there was this whole brand new world, but I had to have that like first experience to really rationalize it in my head that this is something that people do and, and make a living from, or at least sort of have some sort of community-based thing around it. Like, it's a mm -hmm. weird world right, right, off, right out the gate. Yeah, it is a totally weird world. I, I was exposed to it pretty early growing up in the L.A. area. And then uh, my best friend uh, from, you know, I'm, I'd known the kid since kindergarten. Like by the time he was in, you know, junior high, he was working as an assistant for professional comic book artists. And so I was exposed to that world really early. And then that led uh, led to uh, underground comics. And so I knew about, you know, Robert Crumb and Robert Williams and, and Raymond Pettibone and all these people, like, you know, by the time I was, like, 14. And then, like, uh, actually my uh, my art teacher in high school, like, when I was, like, 17, took us to the Helter Skelter show at the Museum of Contemporary Art in downtown L.A., where it was, like, Robert Williams and, and all those people. So I got to see that stuff firsthand at that early of an age. And that kind of was the catalyst to like uh, make me put my head down and learn how to draw better and and try to get into that world. Nice. That's a uh, that's a, a big a, a large task. Seeing that at a young age, seeing that group of people. Yeah, it was it was really it was really overwhelming, and it was like, uh, and from that point on, it was it was like uh, all the way through you know like junior college and college. It was it was about trying to get past my influences and because like every every drawing i ever draw, drew is like someone some smart ass had something to say about oh that looks like robert crumb or that oh that looks like daniel clouds or oh that looks like this or oh that looks like that and like my whole goal goal was to work through that work through those influences and get to the point where it's like oh hey that looks like paul chatham you know <laughs> right which i i if you're interested i think you've accomplished that well, thank you. Yeah, it's take. I I don't think I, I I think I got there in the you know I didn't get there until you know my thirties. So I, like, uh, it took a long time. <laughs> that's it. Sometimes that's the way it has to go down. You know. Like, yeah, definitely. You know, it's like it, it takes a lot of work. You know, pride and hard work. You just gotta can't get discouraged. You just gotta if something doesn't work out, you gotta move on to the next thing and keep keep making it happen. And what a lot of people don't understand, you know, is that there aren't that many people who just all of a sudden are perfect at something. Like everything takes practice and you have to learn things. And if yeah, you're being definitely. if you're learning things, you're you're being taught something. And that person teaching you only knows how to teach you what they know. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like you just have to take in all of that and then and from all of those influences and from what you've learned from those individual people that's what creates your own style is, is your unique way of, of gathering information and then regurgitating that information because it's going to come through your own filters, you know? Sure. 
Well, let's talk about that. Your work is a sort of um, narrative, figurative-based painting, mm -hmm. uh, kinetic motion machine now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The kinetic thing is, is uh, taken over recently, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's super awesome. I I personally enjoy the, fa the fact that people get an opportunity to interact with the pieces. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're always inundated with these like precious things that are on the wall that are like immaculate. You can't touch them if you if your thumbprint gets on them, it's ruined, and you you know you have to put a little red tape and a little rope around it and pretend it's it. Put it in a glass box. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I, I had the idea to do it a long time ago, like around probably around two thousand what two thousand one. I had the idea, and it took a, took several years to learn the skills to do it. But the main reason why I started thinking about doing it was like just being in LA and going to art shows every you know every month. I started noticing myself just taking a quick loop around the gallery and not really spending a lot of time in front of each individual painting. And I wanted to figure out a way to uh, have people stand in front of my paintings more than thirty seconds, you know, and and invite them in and invite them to you know, interact and, and, uh, and participate. So, so doing the gears was, was the easiest way for me to do that. And especially with my woodworking background and stuff, it, it uh, all worked out, you know. And with some of the, the figurative, you know, we're talking about sort of getting information and regurgitating it. Yeah. Is, is, since I know you, I, I feel like there's some, uh, like, personal mythologies that are built up in some of the narrative I yeah think. definitely like yeah definitely just like uh there's just like certain stories that i keep kind of like going back to that are just like kind of loose narratives they're not there's not like a huge epic uh like storyline that i'm following but it's mostly just about like uh it's just like working class kind of pride and hard work kind of stories like uh the underdog like being, you know, trying trying to work work uh, work himself up out of the dregs and and make make his own way in the world, you know. And I just kind of keep repeating that that type of storyline with different characters, I guess. Is it fun for you to sort of romanticize that idea of like first becoming or first becoming last, last becoming first? Yeah, a little bit, but it's not like. Uh... You know, I, I'm not, it's not like a vindictive kind of thing, you know, like, you know, working class versus like upper class or anything like that. It's just more of like, a, you know, I think I, you know what it is, is like, especially like working the type of jobs I've worked where you don't get paid more if you work harder. Everyone gets, you know, everyone that, you know, everyone that swings a hammer on your crew gets paid X amount of dollars, no matter if you work harder than the next guy. And what I like about the art world is I know that, you know, if I work harder than the next guy, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little bit, uh, better reward. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, that, that's the hope I, I, yeah. that potential is there, which is nice, you know? Well, uh, there's, you know, there's a sense that, uh, there's a pride in the work as well, but it, it's funny how the sort of the narratives show up in that like the the people are hard working but they seem to always have a folly there's always a little bit of fault in their thing like it looks like they're they're on a good track at some point in the story and they yeah. always sort of get a get off track somewhere get have a misstep or some sort of accident or yeah definitely that kind of, that comes into like uh the idea of like um cause and effect or like action and reaction you know the just like I think a lot of people in this day and age don't think about the actions that they're, you know, you know like we were talking about early, earlier with like uh, you making certain comments on, on the Facebook and then, and then all of a sudden there's this, uh, there's a reaction to it. And, and you might not have thought any, you, you might, you might not have thought that you're going to get that reaction from people, but that's what happened. And I think that happens in all aspects of life where, you know, it, from, from, you know, environmental stuff like, uh, you know, our great, great grandparents didn't realize that if, 
if they put oil derricks on in the ocean that they may spill and ruin all this kind of stuff or if uh you know uh they cut down all the buffalo grass in in the great plains that the dust bowl would happen you know certain things like that you know it's like it's like simple actions that if you don't think about the consequences are going to bite you in the ass, you know? <laughs> and, and not only that, but if you sort of overanalyze the consequences and sort of project what you think is going to happen, a lot of times the way we visualize the, what the future is going to be, a lot of times we manifest that in ways that are creepier than we probably know. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. I was trying, I guess, apparently there hasn't been audio on the Ustream, and I just got oh, okay. it going now. So, <laughs> let's see if uh, Kevin Peterson, San Diego artist, was on the, the Ustream chat, and let me know oh. if there wasn't any audio going. <laughs> so, he was just looking at my face? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of your face, did you really get attacked by an ostrich? No, that was, uh, I, I had uh, some skin cancer on the tip of my nose. Really? That I, that I had to get uh, taken off just from, you know, being a California kid and then uh, working construction for 12 years. Like, you know, I spent most of my time in the sun. Uh -huh. So I had to get that tip of my nose cut off. And then, uh, but I got, you know, I had a, my face was bandaged for like two and a half, three months. And I got so sick of people asking me, like every time I'd walk in a liquor store, like I would just make up a new, up a new story. So the, so the ostrich story was uh, one of the stories that I made up. I kind of felt like I was getting trolled by that. Like it felt, <laughs> a li it seemed a little odd. But I was like, "Fuck, maybe motherfucker went to an ostrich farm and just caught one on a bad day." Yeah, you never know. But no, it was it was a lot simpler than that. It was just a uh, just everyday uh, little bit of skin cancer that they had to take off. But uh, even then, it was cancer. Fun. It was fun to make up stories when it, when I went to the store instead of uh, telling people that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like cancer might be a little scarier than an ostrich. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, ostriches are probably scary, but yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, cancer's a little scarier. So I still don't know if we're getting the, the audio going through. I know we're getting it for the iTunes listeners, right, yeah. so it's no problem. We'll see if, uh, I'll, I'll see if anybody else says anything. I, I just set up a new Ustream program. Uh -huh. It allows me to show the people you instead of me. But here, I could, I'll show my ugly mug for a moment, though, so that it's not... You could have a moment to rest and not be all up in the camera screens the whole time. Right. Well, I'm going to light a cigarette there. You're allowed to smoke on screen. Right. I should smoke a bong snap on screen. That's all right. It's only legal in, in some states. <laughs> well, we, we're lucky enough to live in one of those states, so it's all right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, your latest show uh, had a. We obviously talked about all the kinetic energy pieces. There's yeah. a there's a plethora of stuff online. There's a cool video that just came out of of some of the work in action. Um, but the the work also had a, a colorblindness uh, thing going on, like a a theme that was running through it. Is yeah yeah. I used the classic uh, colorblind test as kind of a design element in in the work uh, because uh, I'm actually red and green colorblind. So it was like uh, I just wanted to put that as like because most of the characters are all the characters in the Island of the Colorblind show had contradictions to their personality. I had like a, a one-armed fiddle player and then like a giant deaf mandolin player and then a tongueless chef and then the stomachless eater. And then like down the line, I had all these different characters. So it was like, a, and then my part in that was as a colorblind painter. And so I was just like, I felt like I was like one of the characters within the story. And that's how I represented that. Let's uh, let's talk about the hobo culture as well, because I, you know, I was uh, where my gym is, and right over by Crystal's work. Crystal said hello yeah. in the chat room as well. Um, there's like a little, like a train. It's not a train depot, but there's a a spot where where a number of cars get to sit, uh -huh. and there was a couple cars that had some really old school, like OG uh, train riders on it. I think the one that I saw was Scam Scam Punks. Scumpunks, okay. I think, who's like super OG, and I've I've been interested in the uh, the train riding 
artist for a long time because of Barry McGee and Margaret Kilgallen got me interested in that stuff. And like yeah, they're, 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 they're super knowledgeable, both of them, about that whole scene. But uh, some of those some of those things come through in some of the design elements as well. Is that another one of those like hardworking like? Is it maybe like a tie back to ancestry or something like a well, like an older age? Yeah, my my interest in that came from uh, just my interest in um, the Depression era and like uh, specifically with the Dust Bowl um, migration to California with all the people from Oklahoma and Texas and all that coming here to, to escape the Dust Bowl there. And that's where like a lot of the initial hobo culture came from. And then uh, like most of the musicians I hang out with uh, are old timey musicians and they play old timey music with banjos and fiddles and all that stuff. And they play a lot of songs that come from that era. So I started reading a lot about that. And then uh, while we were playing around playing old timey music and bluegrass music, we became friends with people who actually do train hop uh, in the present day and travel the country that way. And a lot of musicians in that scene do that. And they just taught me a lot about that. So I started just uh, adopting some of the old symbology in, uh, in my paintings because I, I keep trying to figure out different ways to say things without actually using words. I still use words in my paintings, but I try as much as I can to use symbols rather than words. Is that because you don't want to be so direct? Yeah, exactly. I'd rather have people either make up their own idea about what my paintings are about or actually engage me in, in conversation and ask me a little bit about it rather than just being straight up in their face about um, cert certain aspects of my paintings. And, you know, in that way, I can, you could, you know, I could be subtle about, you know, my political views or my views about the world or overpopulation or or water rights in California, or like I can I can touch on a lot of different things without it being personal to me, but I can get all the feelings I need out of those paintings by not not being not projecting necessarily on the viewer. You know, they could take it and interpret it in a different way. You know. Yeah. What are some of your favorite uh, old folky music players or? Uh folk musicians or singers well i mean like i like a lot of the old uh like like black southern um like country blues musicians like uh charlie Patton and lead belly and then you know speaking of the the dust bowl uh, like woody guthrie as a white guy did a really good job you know like talking about the dust bowl and the 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 immigration to California of all those workers. Did you know uh, what Steinbeck said about Woody Guthrie? He said that uh, he was able to to uh, explain the entire story of you know, the Grapes of Wrath in three minutes. What took him an entire novel in That's just perfect. in just a, as good a version or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Woody Guthrie's song uh, about. Uh, whatever it was called, Jode, or, like, the, the Ballad of Jode, or... I can't remember what the song was called. Yeah, but, uh, Tom yeah, Jode. Yeah, is it, yeah, Tom Jode. It's just, yeah, it tells the, the whole story that, that of the Grapes of Wrath, like, in a three-minute song, and it's perfect. Yeah, he's a, he's a master. And a lot of yeah. people don't realize it. It's so funny how, like, we get taught... Um, what's his song that we get taught in school? This Land is Our Land. Yeah, but then it's always it's cut off at the part where all of a sudden he tells you to rebel against your government and that the signs that they put up are all bullshit, that this is your shit and you should take it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they left that out in school, didn't they? <laughs> it's pretty clever, but those those among us <laughs> have found the uh, the full versions, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. But we don't learn about all that. Like, we don't learn about all that dirty history in school. We don't learn about, like, you know, the eradication and... You know the the cutting down of the buffalo grass and the dust bowl and uh, you know the you know the battle of wounded knee and like you know all the Indian stuff the Native American stuff we don't learn about any of that stuff we gotta find that out on our own once we leave. Sure, and then then therein lies my issues with dealing with 
current government policy and issues. It's like, okay, we've been lied to over and over and over, and they've fucked as many people for profit as possible for as long as possible. And then they, you come give me some nonsense, like you, you hunted some dude down that month and then dumped his body in the ocean and did a whole fucking routine. But you got some DNA, so it's cool. Don't question it. It's fucking <laughs> America, you know? We got a black yeah, I president. Know, I, I try. I, I don't believe what anybody says on either side. I just I try to keep my head down, and you know, go out and rototill my garden, and you know, tune up my 1956 Ford pickup, and and not worry about those guys. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I try to say like my life is going to be the same tomorrow. It's not going to change. Like, and I don't know what happened. I wasn't in Afghanistan. I didn't go yeah. in that room. I don't know what happened. Just because yeah, some totally. motherfuckers tell me something shit happened doesn't mean that I'm gonna believe it. No, totally. And I, I like I, I listen to both sides a little bit, just like, you know, I'll I'll even put right wing radio on in my studio every once in a while just to give myself a break from listening to music and just have someone talk. But it's like it's it's you know, it's like I don't believe anything they say and I don't believe anything the other side says either. So I just like you know, all I know is, like, I plant seeds in the ground, and I water it, and food grows up, and I eat it, and it's all good. Right. That's what's so weird about our current modern environment and the sort of evolutionary changes that are going to be happening with our brains and our sort of social ideas, because we're, we're sharing so much information that only 100 years ago would have never been available. We, we don't know what's going on in Afghanistan 100 years ago, but now we have a live feed, a, you know, news newscasters on the scene. Everything is instant. Facebook is telling us what's happening before it's even happening. It, you know, it's, it's fucking insanity. It's so instant that we're getting way too much information into the brain that it doesn't quite, it doesn't even really know how to process it. It's, no, it really doesn't. And it's like, yeah, you don't have any time to, uh, to, to take it all in because like by the time you've, You've heard one thing, uh, something else is coming in, and it's like, or it's like you're you're listening to something on the radio, and all of a sudden you get a message on your BlackBerry about something that someone wrote on Facebook or on Twitter or something like that, and then, you know, by that time there's something else on the radio or on TV or there's just it's just it's just overload of information, and it's just like that's why you know it's like with my pieces I, I try to keep everything kind of rustic and kind of nostalgic and. You know, I'm just, yeah, I, I try to take advantage of this technology that we have today, but I try not to get too into it. And it's just like, yeah, with this, like, with, you know, Skype and all these things, it's like, I don't know how to use any of it, but I'll, I'll use it when someone asks me to use it. <laughs> You're in it, brother. You are currently, you are currently taking part in a, in the future. Yeah, totally. It is on right now. There we go. Like, I'm. <laughs> Straight back to the future with like the video screens talking, even though you can't see me, but I've set it up now so that people on the interwebs can see both of us. So it's so I'm actually sitting on top of you in the, in the online screen. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's a good thing, I guess. Give you a little blockage. <laughs> it's um, crazy, and it, you know, and the the other thing about it too is like it it makes people impatient too. Like I've noticed, like with this last show, I had I had a successful show. And I, normally I would just, you know, come home and go, oh, that was good. I'm glad it's over. Let's move on to the next thing. But the first thing I do is I start checking the blogs going, why are people talking about my show? You know what I mean? It's like, wait a second. Why am I so impatient? It's only been a couple of weeks. It's, it's not a big deal, you know? That's that expectation thing that we were talking about before. Like, we set these expectations of what things are supposed to be. And if those expectations aren't met, or if we even just sort of we can even put out expectations of like, well, this isn't going to happen. And if that does happen, it creates an automatic frustration. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, just, you know, let's say like, what, what was it, 1994 when Juxtapose came out. You know, it's like, you waited, it was, I think it came out like bi-monthly or four times a year or whatever. And you, you patiently waited for that next issue. And it was like, okay, what happened in those four months, you know, to, to, or what's going to happen in the next four months. It wasn't, had nothing to do with, you know, I was just a lot more patient person back then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's, you know, it's, we got to focus on the good things too, though. It's like, 
the amount of information available is going to make us smarter. And it should, even though it seems to not be the case, it should make us more reasonable and knowledgeable. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it opens up a, a worldwide door, which, you know, I never imagined that I'd be, you know, talking to people in France and Italy and Germany, like on a regular basis, like just through email and, and stuff like that, or be able to do interviews for magazines over there and stuff. But now it's just like it's instantaneous, you know. What's um? Can we talk about some of the processes that you go through in creating art? You know, we've we've talked about sort of the things that you make, but once you get down to it, do you have like a sort of like a guideline that you usually like say from sketch to final process? Like, what are some of the like in betweens that happen in that? What what I usually start with is just like uh, I'm I'm knowledgeable about usually knowledgeable about the the space I have to show at at whichever gallery I'm going to show out, the square footage or the linear footage of the wall space. So I kind of lay out a map of sizes of pieces I want to make that look like they're going to flow well for the show without even thinking about what I'm going to paint. I, I think about the sizes of the panels and stuff like that. So then I just – so I'll, I'll draw out kind of a floor, floor plan, and I'll start making those panels – and then while you know while I'm wait, waiting for for glue to dry or for for gesso to dry, I'll start thinking about. I start writing on the walls, like thinking about show titles. And once I figure out a show title, then I'll figure out like a short description of the of the show. And then um, then I just do some really loose sketches of just characters and stuff like that. And then, like, uh, you sound like just, a writer. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's really kind of organic. It's not really thought out at first. I, I kind of like the process because it's like if I get tired of cutting wood, then I'll sit at the drawing table. And if I get sick of sitting at the drawing table, I'll go and uh, paint some backgrounds. And then, well, while the backgrounds are uh, drying, I'll, I'll cut some gears. And then, you know, back to the drawing table. And then, but once all the, once all the panels are together and I have them all set up, then I, I pretty much paint a whole show all together. I, I generally don't work on one painting at a time. Like, what's some of the construction process? So, like, obviously you're making these gears and cogs and pulleys and wheels. They got to, you got to sort of have a, mechanic inclination on how all that stuff is going to function together is what's like some of like the mathematics that go into trying to figure that stuff out is it like just trial and error or do you have like a mindful idea of like this gear is going to connect to this piece and so on and so forth i i i have a pretty good idea of how it, it took a lot of uh trial and error like uh the first year i i especially trying to figure out gear ratios and all the math and stuff like that uh, took out, took a long time. And now I like, now I have like all these templates cut out that uh, I, I just have a, a flush trim bit on my router follows my, my gear templates to cut all the individual gears out. And then I, I and then to lay them out like uh, on the actual panels, I just try to lay them out in a, in a, nice organic kind of way that uh that creates a composition by itself and then so, sometimes i'll have a a drawing already that i know okay this this drawing is going to be here so i know exactly where those gears have to go and other times i'll just put the gears on and then figure out what's going to be painted on top of them so that's interesting so sometimes so the mechanics themselves are actually just a part of the aesthetic process as well like they go where they where they're aesthetically pleasing yeah, usually, usually when I try to plan it out too much, it doesn't work out because, like, uh, especially when I have certain amount of gears on the front side, and then there's then there's gears on the back that that drive some other gears on another part of the painting. They might not hit exactly where I want them to hit once they get back to the front side. So it seems like with this last show, I let everything just happen organically. I didn't do any any drawings at all for this last show and uh it worked out really well for me just to to lay out the gears in in a 
in a nice composition and then figure out what to paint on top of them. Yeah. Do you ever, did you ever find any issues with, uh, like support? I mean, you're building these really large contraptions that aren't necessarily like perfectly weighted or are you able to design them in such a way that they're, they're sort of weighted all right to hang on the wall because in you're, you're basically, unless you know the environment that you're hanging them in, which you knew for your last show, but let's say you, you decide you do a show at a new space and you don't really know like the wall texture or whatever, you know, like is actually hanging the works themselves a part of the creation process. Like, do you have to have that in mind? I, I definitely, you know, I try to keep them under a certain weight, like, uh, like uh, they generally weigh around like 25 to 30 pounds, you know, but I try to keep everything under 50 pounds just so, you know, it, you can go to your local hardware store and get 50 pound hangers and that, and, uh, not have a problem with, uh, with your wall, being able to support them, you know? So, so like to keep the weight down, I'll cut out sections of the back part of the, the painting just to eliminate some material and stuff like that. So in my new show, you'll see that there's certain paintings that actually don't even have a back part of a painting. It's like a deconstruction of a painting where the gears seem like they're floating within a frame. And that was mostly a weight issue that that turned into an interesting design solution. Yeah, that is. I, I did find the like the clear backgrounds interesting. Mm -hmm. And it almost made it seem like it would have been more difficult for you to to figure out that balance. Like it almost seems less structural well it was like the structure had to actually be part of the creative process with those because of where um so i i would build like a you know a rectangular frame and then kind of eyeball where i wanted to put that first gear and then run either one by three or one by two across where that center point is going to be and then get that gear on there and then figure out what next gear is going to be and then have to put that next uh next beam across where that center point is going to be so it's like the actual construction was was the initial creative process with those which was i actually enjoyed a lot besides fucking with the ostriches you might be a genius <laughs> i don't know about genius but uh you know i i i think uh, i think it's just uh stubbornness and i you know i keep my head down and work from the time I wake up until I go to bed, you know. <laughs> Speaking of genius, is your better half around today? Yeah, Heather's uh, Heather's in the kitchen cooking. Tell her I say hello. I will definitely. I just uh, I used I used one of her photos for a reference in uh, one of my new paintings. Actually, that's going to be in my solo show on the twentieth. Oh, nice! I'll let her know that she'll be excited about that. I think I think she should know. We talk on the interweb sometimes. Well, very good. But only nice. We don't have any Osama bin Laden arguments. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, let's um, let's plug some of your future stuff that you got coming up, or um, let's get your websites and all your your social media action out there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Heather Hoxie just actually uh, designed me a new website. Uh, it's at my same old app web address, just uh paulchatham.com but it's got a whole new look and a new feel to it and it's a lot more professional looking than my old uh, cheap website so that's good and then I'm working on some group shows coming up that I, I can't remember the details of right now but the next big uh, deal I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to do a two man show with Mike Davis uh, from Everlasting Tattoo and who's an amazing oil painter and uh, we're going to do that at the Cave Gallery in Venice Beach in uh october i believe nice that's exciting yeah it should be really fun it's like uh you know i don't get a lot of attention when i show in la but i you know uh, and mike doesn't show in la very often either so it's like uh we're hoping to uh just go down there like and just like blow it up <laughs> yeah do that thing that barbecue yeah, spot down the street from there is fantastic What's that? The barbecue spot right down the street from the cave is fantastic. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's a, a cool little neighborhood that like uh, so I, I think it should be a good time. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you're on the Twitter, so you just Paul Chatham on Twitter. Uh yeah, at Paul Chatham on Twitter. You uh, it's P A U L C H A T E M. 
Yes. On Twitter, and you'd probably just search you on Facebooks as well to find all your, uh, your good yeah, stuff. It's just, yeah, it's just Paul Chatham on Facebook, too. I keep it simple. All right. Awesome, brother. Well, I'm in a sweat lodge, so I'm going to try to open this place up. Let's uh, let's put an end to this thing. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show and taking the time to talk with me, my friend. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you, man. I'll, hopefully, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, let's do Internet Dap, even though you can't see me. The computer can see me punching the screen. Let me just get a little knuckles at the computer screen. You know we'll what I mean? There. there we go. Yeah, you see, you're done with the tattoos, too. Dap it up. There it is. All right, brother. Thank you very much. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right, have a good day. All right, later. All right, that was my Paul. My Paul. That was my talk with Paul Chatham. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I've sung this song, but I'll sing it again Of the place that I lived on the wild windy plains In the month called April, county called Gray And here's what all of the people there say So long, it's been good to know you So long, it's been good to know you So long, it's been good to know you This dusty old dust is getting my home And I've got to be drifting along a dust storm hit and it hit like thunder it dusted us over and it covered us under blocked out the traffic and blocked out the sun straight for home all the people did run singing so long it's been good to know ye so long it's been good to know ye so long it's been good to know ye this dusty old dust is a getting my home I've got to be drifting along We talked of the end of the world and then We'd sing a song and then sing it again We'd sit for an hour and not say a word And then these words would be heard So long it's been good to know ye So long it's been good to know ye so long it's been good to know you this dusty old dust is getting my home and i've got to be drifting along